A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. Um, we are doing a little special here, aren't we? Because I was lucky enough to go and interview the wonderful Vic Marks, who I've been listening to talking about cricket on Test Match Special pretty much all my life. And it was extremely wonderful talking to him and I got a bit teary and emotional. It was all a bit much. I don't think I've met someone who's given me the... the um, the hero wobbles. I don't know what you call well, it. You're welling up now. Yeah, no. I, I told my friend Joe about this, and he was just, he was oh my god, whoa! <laughs> he was very excited. So we just wanted to talk a little bit about you know what what I spoke to to Vic about really. Um, yes. he, he, Vic has published his book called Original Spin: um, Misadventures in Cricket, and it's a it's a wonderful romp through through his life. Um, and all of the great teams that he was involved in, involved with. It got me thinking about literary cricket, or sort of literature and cricket, and throughout literature there have been all sorts of wonderful um, descriptions of, of cricket. And you read earlier in our last episode about cricket uh, from a diary, but if you think about you know, some of the sort of quintessential um, English works, you know, something like the Pickwick Papers has lovely descriptions of, oh. of village cricket games in it. But what struck my attention more than anything was a special amateur cricket team uh, set up by the author J.M. Barry. Yes, he of Peter Pan fame. And he set up a cricket team called the Alakbarries. <laughs> Uh, which was a, a team uh, which was basically manned and womaned by a whole host of literary writers, really quite famous people. A.A. A. Milne uh, was in it, the author of Winnie the Pooh. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was in it, the Sherlock Holmes guy. Uh, one of my favourite writers of all times, uh, author of Jeeves and Worcester, a P.G. Woodhouse. H.G. Wells was also in this, in this, in this team. Um, Rudyard Kipling... Uh, of the Jungle Book, G.K. Chesterton of Father Brown fame. And the thing with these guys is they weren't particularly good. They don't seem to have taken it very seriously. And one of them, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, was actually quite good. But even he seems to have had, um, you know, various sort of <laughs> mishaps. Uh, have you heard the story about the time that he's playing at Lords? and he manage, manages to set himself on fire. <laughs> um, so somebody bowls at him, and, and he's got a box of matches in his pocket, and it sets his 
trousers, <laughs> trousers are light. And in, in his own words here, a little occasional pain is one of the chances of cricket, and one takes it as cheerfully as one can. But on this occasion, it suddenly became sharp to an unbearable degree. I clapped my hand to the spot and found to my amazement that I was on fire. The ball had landed straight on a small tin Vesta box in my trousers pocket, had splintered the box and set the matches ablaze. So they're not they're not a particularly, you know, they're not a particularly good team and I think that what they liked was the sort of sociability of it and rather than being brilliant at cricket. There's a J.M. Barry himself seems to have been quite enthusiastic and he praised one teammate's performance by observing, you scored a good single on the first innings, but you were not so successful in the second. Um, he instructs Bernard Partridge, uh, a friend who is an illustrator in, in Punch magazine, um, to keep an eye on the square leg while bowling and told the square leg, when Partridge is bowling, keep your eye on him. He forbade his team to practice on any opponent's ground before the match because, and I quote, this can only give them confidence. (laughs) (laughs) I love this idea that, you know, that they're they're just a sort of a group of chums just out to enjoy a game of cricket. Yeah, yeah. The history of transparency. Exactly. You will be seen through. Um, I love that, James. Well, everyone, um, do enjoy the interview. I was particularly fond of the fact that we discovered how... Cricket is a constantly evolving thing and it has its own history. So in the sound of cricket, I love talking about the sound of cricket. The way that commentators talk about his cricket is now different than it was 10 years ago than it was 20 years ago. And so there are so many different aspects of cricket which constantly changes. It was extremely good fun doing it. I hope you all enjoy this interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. Um, I might sound a bit wobbly because I'm very excited in that I'm here meeting a hero of mine. I'm actually here meeting Vic Marks and we're here to talk about cricket. I spend my life talking about different aspects of history, usually kings and queens and revolutions, but I've finally got the opportunity to talk about something that I I genuinely really want to talk about. Um, And that's cricket. So I'm I'm here with Vic, um, who, who is a test match special legend and played for England and played for Somerset. Now, um, Vic's got a, a great book out called Original Spin, which is well, misadventures in cricket, you say, Vic, and it's, um, it's about your life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, I mean, and it didn't entirely go according to plan. I said the misadventures must have got in there. Yeah. Well, I think the best books never go according to plan. Um, you actually mention that, don't you, at the beginning. You say, I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen next. <laughs> so maybe we should begin there. It's actually, I'd like to talk about the, the process of you engaging with your own history and your own past. I, I've never written a book about my life. Um, <laughs> what, what, how did you do it, and was it fun? Well, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I, I think when most people start writing, they get very excited for a chapter or two, and then they realise there's an awful long way to go here. <laughs> we may never get there. Um, but I did. Uh, I enjoyed it more, and I, I, I even enjoyed it towards the end. Curiously, I mean, making myself look back. Cricket's a funny thing to write about because you have immediate access to all sorts of stats that, uh, you know, you can't argue with. Scorecards, wisdoms and all this. So I would, I surprised myself several times because we've all got this little store of anecdotes in our head of what happened at a certain time, which we've probably bored people with over decades. 
and I duly set off with one of these anecdotes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was one particular instance where I was recounting a game at Salford. No, no, was it Salford? Southport. Yeah. It was at Southport. Um, against Collingcroft, no helmets. Sheer terror, really, uh, for a young prose. And I had this story about two old prose from Somerset, Mervyn Kitchen and Graham Burgess, talking to one another in such a doom-laden manner that I had to leave the dressing room batting just after them and they would say, we're going to die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Actually die. We are. <laughs> yeah. this, I don't know why we're going to do it. And then yeah. Merv was taking his teeth out and <laughs> putting him in his blazer. <laughs> and, and they were sort of becoming so pessimistic about their prospects of even making dinner that I left the dressing room. And I was re merrily recounting this tale, which I thought, you know, pre-helmets, yeah, different yeah. game. And I thought, I'd better check the scorecard. Well, one of them wasn't playing in this match, so this conversation <laughs> could never have taken That's place. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, so I had to not abandon shit, but say, well, Merv was probably talking to someone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can't lie very easily at cricket if you've got enough people around there with the right wisdom. And check. anyone can find anything out now. So you have to... <laughs> Old cricketers have got to be careful now because all their old stories, actually someone said, well, actually, you didn't get 103, you got 12 yeah. <laughs> in that match. And it seems to me by reading the book, there are perhaps certain personalities who m m fall into that boat than others who, who maybe do an after-dinner circuit and they will recount stories. And there is a certain degree of... OK, the difference between truth, lies and entertainment. And it does <laughs> seem that... Um, if you're writing a book about cricket, you're, you're going to fall into that. And certainly cricket does seem to be particularly susceptible. You write about it in terms of sledging in that example, about whether, the, you know, the famous anecdotes oh, yeah, yeah. ever actually happened. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that lots of them never did. Yeah. And, uh, but they do the circuit. They get they on the, the circuit. And they're the core of And so then many after books. a while, you actually, if, you're, if you do tell these stories, you sort of believe them. And there's, the, I mean, there are precedents, because there's Neville Cardus, who was a great, you know, writer of the, whatever it was, Between the Wars, Manchester Guardian. He created these wonderful characters from Yorkshire and mm. Lancashire. And there's absolutely no, he put a lot of words into their mouths that they never uttered. But you could argue they kind of demonstrated a certain truth, an abiding truth, even though they never actually said what no. Neville was putting into their mouths. Yeah. So, That's a fundamental historical problem. Kind there of there may be. There's really, really interesting. Yeah. But there, yeah. was a, there, there was a higher truth there, one might argue. So, so certainly in terms of writing about cricket, you've got your memory, you've got your anecdotes, you've got the stats. But yeah. what about kind of... There's, you know, you start off by writing about your life as a boy. What about digging deep into your own personal memories? Was that difficult? Do you mean, there's a running joke in my family that nothing happened to me before the age of 15. I literally can't remember <laughs> anything about my childhood <laughs> at all. And um, my, it horrifies my mother and uh, my sister thinks I'm joking, but I'm not. I actually can't remember anything. <laughs> so did you, did you go back to family albums? Did you go for long walks? How, how well, did you get I mean, yourself It's not that? that intimate about my, my early life, but um, I... I didn't do much research, but I did find little snippets that I found helpful. For example, um, my father died years and years ago, uh, 
And, you know, you get left bits that are in a cupboard. And I found, which was really sweet, and I really... The handwritten um, sort of eulogy by the vicar, who was a vicar in a little village in Somerset, who'd known my father for about 30 or 40 years, so it wasn't as if it was a sort of a flimsy, you know, how it can be sometimes the vicar's never met this person, but yeah, yeah. they say some nice things. But he knew him quite well. And it was really, I really, you know, I thought this was, a, I didn't quote it that much, but there was a, it was a minor little gold mine to revisit that. I'd forgotten what he said at his funeral, but he'd given that to my mother. And that was a nice little document, I thought, that, that um, brought memories back, actually, of mm. the funeral and him, you know, his fairly sudden death in his 60s. Um, so that would be one thing, I suppose. And a few old photographs, too. I got my elder brother to pluck out. You've seen this old photograph yeah. in there of the team photo of uh, on the farm, where we, yeah. at that stage we had about half a dozen people working on the farm, and every time they retired they were never replaced. But it's quite, a, I, I quite enjoyed seeing that team photo and yeah. remembering... Let's have a quick look at it. Yeah, uh, there's the old Carter and the, 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 another shepherd and... Um, Oh, I can't immediately find it. Well, I know where it is, but it's, oh, well, it's in go. the front there, but it's right at the It's a different it's section. That's all right. Oh, here we there go. You are. There you are. See, and I, I, so that, my brother, I think, gave me that. Yeah. Lionel Tractor Driver, Arthur Cowman. <laughs> Cowman? <it>. Cowman. <laughs> Joe Carter, John, my brother, sitting left to right, Charlie <laughs> Shepherd, actually... Charlie Brackett Shepherd. I know someone called <laughs> yeah. Charlie Shepherd. Um, yeah, yeah. Joan and Harold, my mother and father, and Fred the Handyman. There they are. There's the team. Yeah. And the dog. You didn't mention the dog. What's the dog called? I can't remember what the dog was called. It was a very <laughs> disobedient... It wasn't really a pet. It was... My recollection is it was a very disobedient sheepdog. It's yeah. very odd that it's sort of sitting there quite, you know, as if it's posing for its photograph. Well, but... it's also not looking at the camera. Being... Well, no, but... <laughs> I mean, that, that's... <laughs> I, I don't think it was a very good sheepdog. Uh, but anyway, but... So, photographs were a good trigger, yeah. I suppose. Was it, was it a, 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 a thing you were excited about doing? Did you sort of sit down at your desk and go, right, this is going this to be book. a fun project? You this, this particular section of it? Well, in some ways, because there's a lot of cricket in the book. Yeah. And I've been sort of involved in cricket all the time. So in some ways I enjoyed writing the slightly less crickety bits um, because I've been writing about cricket or talking about my cricket perhaps or so, you know, various places. Um, so, so a lot of the same old stories, they weren't uh, yeah. as fresh yeah. or I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't had to think about that much. Whereas sort of writing, it's, I mean, it's not revelatory, but writing bits about being a kid, going to school, going to university, and then actually post-cricket becoming a journalist. In some ways, I quite enjoyed that more because it wasn't primarily just about cricket. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, you say post-cricket, well, we'll talk about cricket at some point. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get around <laughs> to it. But, you know, you've got various different stages of your life. You, you were, you know, a, a person, yeah. essentially. You know, mm. the, you, you was a cricketer, you was a broadcaster. Um, and now you as an author. I mean, um, you're writing, you write a bit about what, what you this do. This is, now. you understand, a sequel. 
Yes, I did. Absolutely. Yes. I've, not, I've not read the first one, which I really, really want to now get my whole, get hands off. Well, I'll give you a copy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. It is a sequel. It's, it's number two. Well, no, it's not even number two. It's, it's, I, I, wrote, I wrote... I had a little... I had a little flourish of writing just before I became a, a journalist. So I wrote a, I wrote a coaching book, a hist um, um, little history book, uh, illustrated history book. Nothing wrong with those. Just <laughs> <laughs> given you one. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more expected than yours. Okay. <laughs> um, I did. If you did, might enjoy this. It's every day today. I did a game book. Oh yeah. Where you, the reader, are a captain of England, and the decisions you make. Hmm. Decided whether the match was won or lost. That's or, very interesting. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll show you the copies briefly if you want upstairs. But when I say it's a sequel, I wrote for the same bloke who got me to triggered me to write this uh, a tour book called Mark's Out of Eleven yeah. on a very interesting tour, really, of, of many years ago, eighty four five, where there was a lot of history going on. There was Mrs. Gandhi getting assassinated. Mm. There was Bhopal. Yeah. There was an assassination of a British uh, diplomat who we dined with the night before, uh, and a general election. Wow. But more importantly, England won two words. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. So um, you're like Dickens. This is amazing. Well, 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 no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but you know, uh, anyway. the, the point is, you've got these different different periods in life. I wanted to kind of uh, mm. bring out, mm. and um, you know, there's there's a there's a certain theme of reinvention. Going along here. Well, isn't that in all autobiographies? Yeah, um, you know, and I think that's 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 lovely and and, and reassure, reassuring. Well, <laughs> I, I think. I mean, reinvention, um, but that doesn't sound entirely reassuring. Well, I, know, I mean, do you well, if you if you define yourself according to the amount of time you spent doing something, hmm. or do did I mean? I personally don't think that that applies at all. I'm always massively interested in what I'm doing right now and mm. what, what's going to be happening in the future rather than what I've done in the past. Is that something you agree with or does it not really count for someone who has been a professional sportsman and then has dedicated their life to that sport regardless of playing it? Are you talking about dwelling in the past? Would you say you're a broadcaster or a cricketer? Well, you can be I can tell you... Uh, let, me, let me just answer that slightly differently. Uh, um... I became a journalist. I mean, I'm more of a journalist than a broadcaster in a sense, mm -hmm. because that's what that that's what pays the mortgage. Mm. I've, for since 1990, I've worked for either well for the Observer, Stroke Guardian, and the broadcasting has always been a freelance bit, an add-on. And when I started as a as a journalist, and you'd travel around and you had to fill in the passport, occupation. <laughs> Well, and I'd still find it a bit odd. When I wrote journalist, I thought, oh, no, I can't really get away with that. I don't really feel like a journalist. And I, so I felt like a cricketer who'd become a journalist. And, uh, and I, up to a point, I still feel that, because I used to... When I first became a, a journalist, as, which I've done for 30 years, as opposed to playing cricket for a dozen or more, but not for so long, um, I, I annoyed my new colleagues by saying, well, uh, you know, I think playing is far harder than writing about it. And I still think that, yeah. 30 years on, but you don't want to tell them that. No. <laughs> um, even though I've been a journalist for 30 years, I'm still, I still feel like a cricketer who became... Yeah. Who, who also managed to leapfrog the system a bit because of playing um, to get a really good job without going through all the hard yards of you know, local papers and learning the trade and shorthand yeah. <laughs> and, and all, news sense. Yeah. Um, 
So even though I've been a journalist for all that time, I, st I, I still feel like a cricketer who's became a writer. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely understand. And, uh, and oddly enough, a lot of people would still see me like that too, yeah. um, I think. Although there are those who might say, possibly with some justification, I'm, I would better at writing and talking about it than I ever was playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, just thinking about the, the people you've worked with in the TMS box and as journalists as well. C cricket, to me, seems a game which is unusually historical in that often mm. in a game, mm -hmm. something will happen that only makes sense if you know what happened two balls ago, one hour ago, two days ago. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I mean, that's sort of within the game, but also when you think about other games, so whether, um, oh, I scribbled down those examples of the matches in the West Indies, which were, which were called off. Yeah, um, yeah. England and Jamaica in uh, 98, and in uh, England, again, in Antigua in 2009, both called off um, mm -hmm. very quickly. And um, you discuss how Jonathan Agnew had to kind of busk at the time and to put what was happening in some kind of historical context. context. Yeah, yeah. Um. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. And I think it means that to be a really good commentator or, or, or journalist writing about cricket, mm. you also have to be, a, to a certain extent, a historian. You have to have a yeah, deep, yeah. deep knowledge and understanding well, of the game. I think that's, I think that's true. Because you can, you know, is this unprecedented? Or have we ever seen anything like this before? I mean, one of the great writers... Uh, who's still alive, but was John Woodcock. And he just had this, in, partly because he's so old, but he kept, he's still got a terrific memory. He'd have this sort of encyclopedic memory and he could draw on examples from, the, you know, the 1954-05 tour of Australia, mm. when, uh, which would be relevant to something happening in 2010. Yeah. Uh, 
and that's a great thing to have as a as a cricket writer because people who like cricket are interested in that and they like those sort of parallels and and we're always drawing parallels we're talking world cup going on yeah we've just got Joffre uh, Archer yeah and it's a basic and maybe not exact parallel but immediately you think Joffre should we pick Joffre Archer should we not pick Joffre Archer he's very gifted blah blah, blah. well 2005 Kevin Peterson Graham Thorpe who do we pick mm. well we all know they picked Kevin Peterson, and they were absolutely right. Kevin yeah. Peterson, and one suspects that it looks the like same it. applies yeah, with, Joffrey, with yeah. Joffrey Archer. But then we could go back to other examples of when they had a similar dilemma. Did they take the punt on the precocious new boy? Yeah. In this case, in both cases, actually from somewhere else, but that doesn't matter, uh, or not, or you know, did they play safe or did they, they t take the bold route? Uh, and that, you know, there, there are countless examples. And we all have got this shorthand too of, you know, you remember Ashes tours by, by one moment. I know, I'm, I've, I'm now 42 and I've, I've um, obsessively, I think is the word, followed all cricket in my lifetime since the age of about 12. But, you know, I'm now completely overwhelmed with what's happened. I've got no idea. I, can't, I find it very difficult to remember. And... Um, in all politeness, you're a little older than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you must have so many more matches rattling around in your well, head. Or do you now oh, cling to the really important ones? Well, I don't know. I mean, inevitably, as you get older, you remember ones from a long time ago, but uh, I, you know, I can't necessarily yeah. remember what happened last year. Yeah. Or Is there someone week? in the commentary box who is better than anyone else, who's, who's absolutely kind of razor sharp out. I mean, Blowers was interesting because he, he would he, know about the 50s. He, absolutely. Really good. Absolutely. I'm not sure what's happening right now. But. You know, and there would be a score of 3-3-2 three, three, and he'd immediately go Walter Hammond. So Blowers had a brilliant memory of the 50s, 60s. Not so, not, not so good in the more recent times. But Blowers knew his cricket, actually. Um, I'll tell you who had the best. Absolutely brilliant. It was Tony Cozier, uh, okay. who was a wonderful broadcaster, yeah. you know, I loved working with. But he, not only could he pluck out moments from 1968, he could tell you far better than anyone based in England that um, whoever it is from Derbyshire had got 23 in their last innings against Northamptonshire. Yeah. He hadn't... He, just fascinated, he studied, or not studied, he was just interested in everything. And he had a, an amazing knowledge of not only West Indian cricket, but everything. And he could pluck it out just like that. And that's surprising you said about the county, because I thought you were going to talk about West Indian cricket particularly. Well, he could do West, obviously do West, but yeah. he'd also know what was happening on the county circuit. Yeah. Because he, he, well, he, I wouldn't, obsessed is not quite the right word, but he just sort of soaked it all yeah, up. Yeah, people are like that, I mean, sort of um, sponges for yeah. information. Uh, so he was brilliant, he's the best I know, but the other person in a different way is our so-called scorer, Andrew Sampson, who has got, who is uh, pretty good with his laptop and he's got his own system and he can pluck out anything. I mean, he doesn't know it. He can't pluck it out of his head, but he can pluck it out of his laptop. Yeah. He knows how to pluck it. He knows where it is. He knows how to find it. And yeah. so he is amazing. And another one, actually, from way back, who knew everything about his own performance was Fred Truman. Yeah. Remembered just about every wicket, every match he'd played it. Yeah. Uh, with pretty good accuracy. It wasn't just, you know, when he got a hat-trick, I don't think. It's interesting, I mean, as a... Yeah. As a as a historian, I'm always slightly suspicious when people claim to be able to remember things that crystal clear. I know I can't. And mm. people think I walk around with 
endless amounts of information, all the yeah, books yeah. I've written in my head. There's nothing in my head. I've, I've literally emptied yeah, yeah. my head and turned them all into books. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the more I, I, I speak to people in the game, I, I realise that I think it's true mm. in some instances. There aren't people secretly checking the stats. They mm. actually know them. Yeah, well, boycott would be a bit like that. Actually, boycott would be a bit yeah. like that. But increasingly, of course, there, you, you get lazy anyway because there is ways and means of accessing all this stuff nowadays yeah. with, at your fingertips if you know how to do it. Yeah. And I'm not that good at it, but I'm getting better. Yeah. <laughs> of, uh, it's a kind of the elasticity of the mind to be mm. able to, to work out what statistics you want to find mm. and then how to find them. Yeah, and yeah. It, the other interesting thing about, about history is if you think about the voices of commentary and how they change. So listening to cricket commentary now is fundamentally different to what mm. it was five years ago and it's radically different to what yeah. it was ten years ago. And I just jotted down a few things. So you've got the voices mm. who've changed. So we, we don't have CMJ around anymore. We haven't got blowers around mm. anymore. Um, is there a, a kind of a really defining voice that is no longer heard that you, you think the, the, the cricket commentary world is, is less rich for, for missing? Well, I think, uh, well, uh, even before CMJ and Henry, um, I remember doing a radio programme, a sort of look back, and they, uh, you were almost too young, probably, but John, uh, John Arlott. Yeah. And they had some clips of John Arlott commentating, and it was amazing. For this reason, it was the silence, the gaps between mm. sentences, sometimes even between words. And I've talked to our sort of our producer now, and he said, you know, it is magical that he's confident enough not to say anything mm. for so long. And the producer was saying, if that was now, I'd be shouting in his ear, will someone say something? <laughs> say something, please. But Arlot. Oh, I love that. It's a great story. Um, you know, Arlot would. On, on some of the clips, you know, there was huge silences, and and it, but it was very effective. But you would never do it like that now because you, it must make you feel more like you're at the game though, because that yeah, that yeah. really reflects the game. Yeah. That's more like the experience of actually watching yeah. it live, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, we all say that, and we can, it's easier to understand that on television. I mean, I'd say, for goodness' sake, you know, Richie Benno, yeah. uh, he was a man for silences. <laughs> when they went to. Uh, in Australia, towards the end, Channel 9, they went from two people commentating to three uh, at the same time. Mm. Uh, and Richie Benno by this time was, you know, knocking on a bit, but he was still, you know, venerated and part of the Channel 9 thing. And he'd go on for 20 minutes or whatever they did, and he might not say, he'd say about one sentence maximum, because he couldn't get a word in edgeways, <laughs> and he wasn't going to say anything that was unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the style has changed, but... Um, and the, the phrases have changed as well. So mm. there are phrases which come and go. I mean, obviously, if you, mm. you've got no blowers, you've got no my dear old thing and, and mm. other things like that. But there are there are fewer catchphrases around <laughs> now, aren't there? I mean, so so the actual languages have changed. And the other point is that the jargon has changed. Yeah. And, and that shifts a lot. So I remember about three or four years ago, the phrase well-organised was used, oh, particularly by someone like Mark Nicholas. In, in oh, every right. other breath, he would talk oh, really? about a batsman being well organised. <laughs> Ian Bell was very well organised. Um, I still have no idea what it means, um, and now no one says it at all, especially <laughs> right. Mark Nicholas. Well, well, <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got to play smart cricket now. I've written the other one. I've written yeah, down yeah, yeah. Smart, smart cricket. cricket. I, I don't know where that came from. I think Dermot Reeve had talked a lot about smart. I mean, it's, there are lots of different ways of saying. Exactly. I mean, we used to go despair as journalists. You go, and they still say it all the time about, you know, 
bowling in the right areas. Yeah. I mean, and we go to a Monty, dear old Monty Panesar press conference, we'd always have a sweepstake on how many right areas <laughs> we were going to get. And they all say it. But uh, so language changes. Doesn't but it, actually, the, the, what they're talking about is, is more or less exactly more the less same. Exactly the same, yeah. And yeah, I suppose that you have the slot now. If you're watching some kind of 2020, yeah. I'll bring up the pitch match and the, the slot. Yeah, it's in the a, slot. It's actually a thing. It's, yeah. you know, it's, a phys- it's, a physical, it's a physical thing. Um, so that changes. And the method of commentary changes too. In the, the, um, just a couple more questions, mm, I think. Mm, um, I've, I've ranged so widely. Mm. The, being an author, and I just want to go, go back to where we started to think about how you actually wrote the book. Um, there are moments of discomfort in this book. Um, mm. There's physical discomfort when you're talking about batting without a helmet, which is interesting. But also, um, you, you wrote a chapter which I should think should win a prize for best titled chapter I've ever come across. <laughs> so instead of Bridge Over Troubled Water, it is Trouble Over Bridgewater. I know, I know. My wife <laughs> didn't like it. I managed to sneak that little <laughs> well cliche <done>. in. <laughs> so um, everyone read the, read the chapter Trouble Over Bridgewater, if only for the title. But um, that was a difficult time for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, I mean, it's a long time ago, but it, at the time it was, it was 1986 and it was a club disintegrating, really. Yeah. Uh, and we'd had this, you know, magical little period where we had suddenly the three best players in the world practically playing in the same team um, and winning stuff. Uh, and then it all kind of disintegrated and ended up with the very controversial sacking of the two West Indians, sort of sacking or not re, re-signing the second two, Viv Richards and Joel Gunner. Uh, and there was real uh, sort of torment, nastiness around two different camps. I'm nearly always in the middle, trying to, talking to both parties, but getting nowhere. Uh, real hostility within the, you know, terrible dressing room for a period where, you know, there's so much angst and anger and bewilderment and um, so at the time it, it was horrendous I mean time heals sort of thing and two of the you know the two West Indians have come back to the club and they've got their gates and Ian both of them who also left the club has got his stand and and time has healed but it was it was momentous did you have uh, a kind of physical feeling having to having to write that did it make, sort of make it well it was a difficult one to write because you're still agonising about what happened. You're trying to assess. I mean, I don't think I changed my view, such as it was over the over the years. But you're trying to give a measured sort of, I don't know, historical view from a long mm. distance about the wisdom of what happened and why it happened. Um, uh, and I was sort of, and in uh, on a personal level. As, I, I was. I spent lots of time with Peter Roebuck, who was the captain. I uh, used to travel with him. I, he, we joined exactly the same time. He was my best man, mm. so I was close to him. He was then at this stage, having throughout his early career, they all got on well. Actually, Pete got on well with the the two that he really fell out with over this. Um, so it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a sort of long-standing animosity. It was something that grew. Um, and so I was, whilst I was, I was friends with Pete on, on, on one side, I was still, you know, getting on fine with 
Ian and Viv, who were the, the, other, the protagonists on the other side. Uh, and their relationship was completely being torn apart. The club was being torn apart. Um, Did you find it vaguely cathartic writing about it? Uh, vaguely, but yeah. not, <laughs> but not, not, so not much. hugely. <laughs> I, I don't think I feel much better for it. Um, but it was quite. Uh, all I'm saying is, I suppose, writing about that, and I, you know, I'm not the sort who likes to, doesn't want to stir or no. sensationalise. So I wanted to give, to be straight. Uh, I didn't, and I wanted, but I wanted to keep a balance because, you know, it, I, I'm, well, Pete, Pete's no longer with us, of course. Um, I just want to give a balanced view, really, and try and yeah. relate what happened and not be too judgmental, actually, because... Yeah. <sighs> well, it's difficult. I've yeah. read it. I think you've done brilliantly. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, uh, but it was all... But, I, but the, yes, the, the issues that were... That was one of the, always going to be a more difficult thing to write about it because it, it was a dark period in, in the club's history and I hated that year, as everyone else probably did by the end of it. Uh, whereas most of it is a more, you know, cheerful sort of light-hearted, yeah, yeah. Uh, stroll. Yeah. But I think it's appropriate to have to have. To yeah, have yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, but I, but I didn't want to be too. Oh yeah. No. But the the most light-hearted stroll bit I, I loved was um, you going going for a walk into the outback and meeting meeting that old boy um, who's <laughs> sitting there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end this by by saying something to you, uh, Vic. I you know you say you're a player, you're a broadcaster, you're an author. To me, I mean, I never got to see you both. So I really, well, you would, party, I'd, I'd love to have done that. But you're an entertainer for me. You entertain me listening to broadcasting. You're an entertainer, and then you write write this, and you're an entertainer in your journalism. You help pass my time. Which, which really <laughs> so I'm going to say to you: Have you been an entertainer all of your life? Entertainer. <laughs> well, uh, not I, yet. No. <laughs> yes, that's the answer. Not yet. <laughs> Thank, thanks for that. Um, yeah, uh, but. No, I no. <laughs> no. No is the, well, is the straight well. answer. I think you, because I broadcast for loads so long, you get more used to that. I suppose. I don't know. Well, I've, I've not yet. Spent a very, not yet a is very, the best answer. It is the best answer. <laughs> a very charming half an hour in your company. Thank you so much for spending time with me, Vic. My pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do make sure to follow us on social media. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis and you can follow our podcast at Unexpected Pod. And you can follow me at James Daybell. Um, plus, James and I, we're trying to do something different here. We're trying to change the way that everyone thinks about the past by demonstrating how everything, even the most unexpected of subjects, has a history. And we could really appreciate your help to keep the mics on, to help pay for the editing, to give us access to some studios for our podcast. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash histories of the unexpected or online at historiesoftheunexpected.com and you follow the link through with support. And there you can find out everything else we've got going on about our books, our live tours, and all of the past wonderful episodes we've done. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. But before we go, Sam, I'd like to ask you about if you could meet one cricketer from the past, famous cricketer, who would it be? Um, my grandfather. Your grandfather? Yes, he was a wicketkeeper. I'd like to have seen him keep wicket. I'd like to meet um, Geoffrey Boycott's grandmother, because <laughs> apparently she could, she could bowl and bat better than anyone. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very Sorry, I just needed to get that in. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.